Hi, Doxology. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kyle. I'm a member here, uh, and I'm going to be doing the sermon or the scripture reading for tonight. Uh, the sermon is Steve, so I'll let him do that. Um, <laughs> tonight we're going to start a new series in Hebrews, uh, and we'll be starting with Hebrews 1, uh, verses 1 through 4. So I invite you to turn your Bible to that, that book. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are Blue Bibles that look like this in the pews in front of you, you are welcome to take one of those. That is our gift to you. We also have some in the front for you if you would like. Uh, also, you can always turn to uh, Hebrews in your phone um, or uh, any other electronic device you may have. Uh, so again, we are in Hebrews 1, uh, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the, God, of the Lord. Thank you, Kyle. You're fired. Um, just kidding. Not even allowed to fire Kyle. So, um, Well, good evening, guys. It's, it's good to be with you. For those of you who are new, joining us for the first time, uh, regardless of what your spiritual background is, if you've been going to church for a long time, or if, you're, if you don't consider yourself a Christian, you're just exploring who Jesus is, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, a most welcome to you. And uh, we are starting a new sermon series this fall in the book of Hebrews. So Hebrews has this unique quality to it where it's both one of the most hard-hitting books of the Bible and the most comforting and reassuring at the same time. And so I'm excited for how Christ is going to use it uh, in our church over this fall and then even into next spring as well. And so a little bit of scene setting here. There's a lot we don't know about Hebrews. So for one thing, we don't know who the author is. Uh, there's been a lot of guesses over the years, Paul and Luke being two of the most popular guesses, but uh, truth be told, we don't have enough evidence to, to show you know, who actually wrote Hebrews. I know one of you told me a couple weeks ago, they said, uh, when you first meet Jesus, like your first question is going to be, so who wrote Hebrews? So it, it's a question that, that a lot of people have, and for some of you, this may be troubling. I know for me, this was troubling for a number of years, like, oh my gosh, we don't know who wrote one of the books of the Bible, and would love to talk with you about that if that is something that you wrestle with, but actually, when you look at the books of the Bible, this isn't uncommon, and here's one of the reasons why, actually, with a lot of the books of the Bible, we don't know the author, and that's because the main point of the scriptures and each book is to point you to Jesus. And so, like, I don't know if you all have ever been to visit or to go hear a, a great musician or a great speaker speak, and somebody introduces the main event, and, you know, it's odd if they stand up there for 15 or 20 minutes and they're just blabbering, you know, like on and on. They're talking about themselves. And it's like, bro, or get, like, get to the, like, I'm here for the main event, right? No, but a good MC like a good introer of the main event is just to get out of the way so the main person that you're there to see, you can hear from, right? And so it is with the writers of Scripture. What they want to do is to point you to Christ. And so even if you look at the Gospels, for example, like Mark, he doesn't say, he doesn't start off his Gospel, hey, my name's Mark, I'm writing this eloquent letter that's going to be, you know, around for time eternal. No, he just starts off with, this is the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, because he wants to put the spotlight 
on Jesus. And so same thing with Hebrews here. The point is to, to point us to Christ. So we don't know who the author is, but that's okay. Uh, we also don't know who the audience is. Uh, a number of books of the Bible start off, you know, like Paul writing to the church at Rome or the church in Corinth. We know who the audience is. But here with Hebrews, we don't know much about the audience other than they're probably a largely Jewish audience is, is what, like, about the most we can infer. But while there is a lot that we don't know, uh, there is something we do know, thank goodness. And what we do know is what the main point of Hebrews is. And it's a bracing and beautiful theme, and so I can't wait to, to dive into it with you guys. And so here's what we're going to do tonight. It's going to be a little different, especially if you've been coming here for a long time. Instead of me just telling you, here's the theme of Hebrews, and then, you know, in two seconds, which maybe some of you want me to do, uh, what I'm going to do with you guys is actually show you the work of how to get there, to see what the point of Hebrews is. And here's why, because one is, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt, because I know uh, at least all of you that I know, you want to become better readers of the Bible. And one reason why a lot of Christians end up falling prey to errant teachings, you know, outside the church or inside the church, is because they rarely engage the Word of God for themselves. And also sometimes why Christ doesn't feel real is because there's not like a lot of personal engagement with Christ. And so I want to help you guys learn how to engage God's word on your own to equip you as readers of the Bible, not just always coming here to learn from other people, as helpful as that is. And number two, why this will be so good is because Hebrews is a rich and dense book, and there's going to be some sections that we're in, you're going to be like, what am I supposed to do with this? And But when you know the main theme, it's going to serve as a funnel so you constantly can keep your bearings no matter where we're at in the book, okay? Um, so we're going to spend today, there will be plenty of practical application just looking at what is, what is Hebrews all about? What's the point of Hebrews, okay? So um, to start, anytime you want to know what's the purpose of this letter, purpose of this material, is you want to know what genre you're in. Uh, you do this all the time in everyday speech, often subconsciously. So when you hear Jesus say, I am the vine, you probably know he's not saying, I am a greenish-brown, windy, leafy thing, right? Like, if you think that, you're going to miss the mark about what Jesus is saying, because the genre he's speaking in there, right, is metaphor, right? He's communicating something else. If you sit down to, um, you know, watch a documentary or a work of fiction, right, depending on what genre it's in, that's going to set the trajectory of how you watch that show or that movie, on Netflix, right? And so with Hebrews, what we need to do is we need to start by asking, what genre are we in? And a lot of times the book will tell you at the beginning, you know, so Luke will start off saying, I'm writing a historical narrative based on eyewitness testimony. So you're like, oh, I'm reading a historical narrative. Or Paul will write, you know, this is Paul writing to Timothy. So, oh, this is a letter to Timothy. Well, with Hebrews, he just starts off like running out of the gate 60 miles an hour you know, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Just <laughs> So what genre are we in? And ignore that I know at the top of your Bible it says the letter to the Hebrews that was added later. Don't let that freak you out, but later editors put that in there. Um, is there any evidence in the book itself that tells us it's a letter? Or what is it? And the answer doesn't come till the end. So if you want to flip there, the very end of the book, chapter 13 verse 22, and there should be a slide as well, is he writes, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. 
So this is helpful because see, so you, you, you don't know till the end, but you get to the end. He says, bear with my word of exhortation. So what Hebrews is fundamentally is it's not even a letter. It's not a narrative, but it's an exhortation, meaning it's designed to urge you or it's designed to get you to do something, right? Much like a sermon or a homily. And so now that we know that it's an exhortation, we know the genre, and that's gold, because what this tells us is, is we're reading, you know, these high theological truths and propositions. The point isn't those propositions themselves. The point is it's highly practical to get us to do things in the moment. So when we see in the first chapter, and we'll look at this more in in the next one and two weeks, you know, Jesus is superior to the angels, Our response isn't to go, oh, wow, that's an interesting piece of information. No, it's designed to get us to do something. Okay, so that's what Hebrews is. And so when you know Hebrews is an exhortation, and I encourage you guys to do this uh, this week, is read through Hebrews in one or a couple settings and follow the exhortations or highlight, like lift up the exhortations, and that will give you a, you a, a different feel to the flow of the book. Okay, so that, that's the genre. It's, it's like a homily or a sermon. It's an exhortation that was written down for us. So what's the next question? Okay, great. It's an exhortation. I remember just trying to help you guys learn how to, to read here. What is the exhortation? Like, what does Hebrews want us to do? That's a question we want to know as we jump into it, right? Okay, and so there's this exhortation is three parts. Okay, and so we'll look at this one at a time. There are three lines of thought in this exhortation, and so Let's start with the first one. As you read through Hebrews, you'll notice one dominant line of command or urging that appears in the book. And if you could please just go ahead and go through them. Uh, This is the first theme of exhortations we see. So one, pay attention, chapter two. Two, don't harden your heart. These are just very like forceful, immediate commands. Number three, don't fall away. Number four, don't continue sinning. Number five, don't exchange the grace of God for something else. Number six, don't refuse to listen to God. Okay, some of you are wondering, like, why did I come to church this evening? <laughs> this author's mean. Okay, so what's the feel to these exhortations? Right? It's sharp. It's sharp. They're warnings. And I know for a lot of us, when we hear warnings, we bristle. You know, we, when, if somebody just walks up to you, it's like, dude, stop, don't continue sinning. Don't refuse to listen to God. It's like, come on, man, stop being so judgy. But... You know, if, if you even consult your own experience, you know that a warning, a good warning from a wise and caring individual gives you life, right? So don't run a red light as you're driving a car. That's a life-giving warning. Gordon Ramsay saying, don't put pineapple on your pizza. That's a life-giving warning, okay? So this is what the, the author of Hebrews is doing here. He's giving us warnings because he wants to give us life. And what's, if we could sum up what the author of Hebrews is saying through these six warnings or exhortations in the letter, like what's he getting at? Like why would he be writing these things? And here's what he's getting at. It's as if the author is assuming there's a very high chance you're going to walk away from the faith. And if you want to grow through Hebrews and you want to take seriously like what the author of Hebrews is saying, you have to take this seriously. And don't worry, like we're going to get to a much more comforting and reassuring part. 
but this is the hard part. And ironically, this is what's hard about a section like this is often those who are most, the most self-assured aren't listening to this, and those who like wrestle with doubts all the time or feel paralyzed by this. So just, don't, there is comfort coming, but unless you take seriously that the odds are stacked against you in the Christian life, and you, this is from Jesus' words himself, right? In Matthew chapter 7, he says, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. That the odds are high that you'll fall away. Uh, you're not going to be in a very stable place. And uh, especially now in the era of social media, I, I'm sure a lot of you have seen, now there are a number of very famous church leaders, like worship leaders and pastors, who have made these public announcements of, you know, I'm no longer following Christ. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, a guy named Josh Harris, I, I know a lot of you are familiar with him, so he was recently interviewed in the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast that I know a lot of you guys have listened to, but he, he was a pastor for years. Uh, he became famous or infamous in the early 2000s for writing that book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Uh, I never read it, but I know it shaped a generation of Christians from, from what I've heard, not for the best, uh, but he was a believer, and two years ago, I think it was right around two years ago exactly, on social media, he actually used the language of he said, you know, the words, the, the language the Bible would use to describe what I'm doing right now is I have fallen away. Like, I no longer believe in Jesus as the Son of God who's come to, you know, die for my sins and, and bring me life eternal. And this is sobering stuff, and you don't even need to look at distant examples, but I'm sure for many of you, perhaps in acute ways, you know people very close to you. You know, maybe in your family or people who are close friends of yours who maybe at one point said they follow Jesus and no longer do. But what the author of Hebrews is doing here is in love, he's saying, don't coast. Okay, the, the, the Christian life is not just, okay, I said a prayer to trust Christ, and I'm just gonna, you know, yeah, I'll go to church every Sunday, but I'm coasting overall. Now, you need to think of your life as a race, right? Hebrews chapter 12, run the race set before you. Because otherwise, if you're self-assured, there, there's, there's so many things that can come your way and shipwreck your faith. I mean, be it uh, just a temptation to make something else. In our culture, one of the two most common things are a relationship or a career and money, you know, to make it, to elevate those things as higher than Jesus. Uh, it could be intellectual doubts. It could be emotional doubts where you get hit with it and you're just wondering, like, how could God be good? It could just be the general fatigue that, com- the general fatigue that comes from believing and living in a way that goes against the grain of almost everybody around you, you know, in your workplace, and your family. Like, life can just get tired, tired, tiring. But Hebrews is saying, no, keep persevering, keep running hard. So for you to actually grow, you need to take this warning seriously. Okay, so that's part one of the exhortation. Persevere is how you can sum that up. Persevere. Thank goodness it doesn't stop there. Okay, it keeps going. So persevere. Now, what's the next line of exhortation that we see in Hebrews? And here, uh, summed up three for you guys. It's, it's all through the letter, but here are three parts that you see it. So first you see exhort each other daily. So he's exhorting us to exhort one another daily, chapter three. Gather together regularly, chapter 10. And then let us run with endurance in chapter 12. Okay, so what's the feel here in terms of this exhortation? Like, notice even the third one, let us run with endurance. This is a well-known verse in the Bible. 
you know, run with endurance, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's a great verse for good reason, but I think when a lot of us read that or think about it, we go, okay, let, let us run with endurance. Immediately think of ourselves running in a marathon. And think of the nature of that. A marathon is you're with other people, but they're, they're all around you just as part of the event, but they're not with you, right? A marathon is a solo sport. And in our individualistic culture, we just think this way. But what Hebrews wants us to do is to think, to, to change our thinking and think, okay, as we think about persevering, this isn't just a, you know, I grab myself up by my, by my bootstraps and I persevere on my own like an amazing marathon runner, okay, but I do it together with my church family. And this makes all the difference in the world. And so you see this, for example, in even the greats of the Christian faith. So the Apostle Paul, okay, he's known as one of the greats. And in Second Timothy, his final letter that he's writing shortly before he's executed, he ends, toward the end of the letter, he writes, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. And when you read, at least this is how I read it for years, when you read it, you think, oh yeah, that's Paul. He's this superstar, rugged individual, you know, like, yeah, just he's, he's doing it on his own. He fought the fight, he, you know, he finished the race. So you picture Paul's life, you know, like running through the finish line with his arms up triumphant. But as you read Second Timothy, what you find is how much he relied on other people. So toward the beginning of the letter, he commends this guy named Onesiphorus. Uh, if Kelsey gave me decision-making power in naming our kids, I'd probably have named one of our kids Onesiphorus, but she didn't let me name our child that. But Onesiphorus, he's, he's one of the most unsung heroes in the first century. So he, he knows Paul's in prison, but doesn't know where he is, and shows up in the city of Rome. This is before geolocating technology. And he doesn't stop searching for Paul until he can find him. And he refreshes him. And he, like, he enables Paul to keep going. And then toward the end, Paul tells Timothy, he says, you know, can you bring my jacket? Because it's cold where I am. Can you bring me some books? Because I want to keep reading. I want to keep learning. And Timothy's helping Paul. And so what the picture is here, it's not Paul on his own, you know, finishing the race. The picture is actually Paul, you know, like limping toward the finish line, interlocking arms with Onesiphorus, with Timothy, with all the other people, you know, men and women in his ministry, and they're all like kind of stumbling across the finish line together. And so it is for us as the church. And so there is no way that you or I can persevere unless we reorient the, the gravitational pull of our thought because the natural orientation of our thinking is individualism. Even if you're an extrovert, even if you love being with people, as you're doing life, the tendency is to, you know, a number of situations, you know, so you're going through a decision-making process on taking a new job or who to date or where to move. And what most of us do is we make that decision on our own, and then we just kind of let our community know what we decided in hindsight. Hey, here's what I did. But no, living a life persevering together looks like inviting others in the community to actually help you make that decision. Or it could be you know, a habit in your life that you know isn't right, but re- you don't bring it to light with your community because, well, you know, wh- what, business of it is, what business of theirs is it? Or maybe because you're embarrassed of it. And I get it. Like, trust me, I get it. Um, and this is something I'm growing in all the time. What Hebrews is saying, if you want to persevere, you, ha- you have to bring the real you, like with all your mess, to the people in community Precisely because in a, in a community where we know that Christ saved us when we were his enemies, and none of us are finished project, 
uh, projects, but we're all works in progress, right? We can be our actual real selves with other people in community so that they, they can help us persevere. Okay, so that, that's part two of the exhortation. Persevere, but not just persevere. Persevere together. If you want to finish the race, if you want to become your true self, to put in the language of our modern culture, uh, you have to do this together with others in your community. Part three of the exhortation, okay, persevere together, and what's the final part? And so here's the final, like, bucket or themes of exhortations that we see in the letter, and we can sum it up in, in this category. So because you have Jesus, draw near to the throne with confidence, because you have Jesus, draw near to God with full assurance, and because you have Jesus, run the race with endurance. So there's this theme of because you have Christ, this is why you can do these things. And here's where Hebrews crystallizes everything. Um, So turn to chapter 8, verse 1, if you can, and I believe we have a slide for it as well. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 1, it tells us that this line of thinking, like because you have Jesus drawn near to the throne of grace, because you have Jesus keep running, We know this is the most important theme of exhortations in the letter because of of this. So see chapter 8, verse 1. Now the point and what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. So he says, now the point and what we're saying. And in the original language that reads, now the main point or now the, the sum of everything that we're talking about in this letter is that we have such a great high priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, seated in heaven. Like, that's the point of all of this. And that might sound arcane and irrelevant and impractical. Okay, like, Jesus is my high priest. No, it makes all the practical difference in the world. So how would the original audience have, have understood this? Okay, the point in everything we're saying is because we have such a high priest. So you have prophets, and prophets bring you the word of God, and they tell you what God says. You have kings who come, and they tell you, here's God's law, and so here's what you need to do. What does a priest do, though? A priest is a side-by-side, like coming alongside you kind of ministry, where the priest sits with you, weeps with you, strengthens you, through their administrations, actually ushers you into the presence of God. A priest often gives you the words to speak when you feel so broken, you don't even know what to say. And so what Hebrews is saying is the reason you can persevere together in a world that's so often so dark is because you have Jesus, this high priest who isn't, didn't just do some things for you in the past, but he's with you today. And so as you guys think about Jesus, um, the work that he did, you know, historically in his incarnation where he healed the lepers and he went to the cross and he rose again, those things matter deeply. But what's amazing is what Hebrews highlights uh, is, is that work of Jesus was actually to the means, it was the means to the end of something else. So if you go into, if you go back into the scripturing that we read, uh, chapter 1, and we're going to go through this, this same passage next week in greater detail. Today is just an overview. But uh, chapter 1, verses, verse 3, 
he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And then at the end there, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So what's purification for sins? That was him going to the cross so that you could be forgiven. But then what? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's his priestly work for you. Meaning even the cross, as wondrous and necessary as that was, that was a preparatory step for Jesus to do what he's doing for you today. Coming alongside you, strengthening you, praying for you, weeping with you. That's amazing. He didn't just, it's not like Jesus looks at you and goes, okay, yeah, you're a sinner, so I have to do this really hard thing at the cross and then keep you at arm's length. No, the, the reason for the cross was so that he could be near you, that, so that he could be with you now and then fully in eternity. And to bring it down to, to practical bearing, hopefully if it's not already, is what I love about our God and the God of the scriptures is he never gives you an exhortation or a command without also giving you promise and help. He never gives you exhortation without also giving you promise and help. Giving you a command and expecting you to be able to obey on your own strength, it's like you expecting your dog or your cat to make you dinner. Okay, you can, right, you can, don't worry, this it's relevant, it works. Okay, you can put the utensils and the raw food in front of your dog or your cat. You can even put them on a stool. You can even start the oven for them. And then you can exhort and instruct and tell them exactly what to do. And they will not be able to make you dinner. And so when Hebrew says persevere, if, if he just says persevere, even persevere together and leaves it there, it's, it's going to have the same use as you telling your dog or your cat to make you dinner. And so here, when we have Christ, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, if I, if you are overcome with doubt, if you're feeling a temptation that feels too overpowering for you to resist, if you feel so helpless because you're in so much pain, and I come to you and I say, stop it. Stop it. That's of no help to you. Because an exhortation without a promise and help that places a millstone around your neck that you were never designed nor fit to bear. But not so with Christ. Because with Christ, you have a high priest who's not just powerful and wise, but he willingly became a human in order to experience your pain and your weakness so that you have a priest who's not just powerful and willing, but who's able to sympathize with you. No one is more willing, no one is more able, no one is more sympathetic. And so why should you persevere in a life that often feels so dark? How can you persevere when you are tempted, when you're in pain, when you feel alone, when you feel like, I'm just too exhausted to keep going? 
the reason why you can persevere with those in your communities because even amid a world that's, all, that's so often uncertain and so broken is you have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who makes a promise to you, a promise that says, I will never leave you and I will strengthen you when you're weak. I will weep with you when you're sad. I will give you wisdom when you don't know where to go. I will give you in the present moment a togetherness when you feel alone. And your perseverance and your joy in this life does not any longer depend on you, but it depends on me, and I never fail. So persevere with those in your church family by drawing near to Christ your present help. As Christ tells you, with confidence, draw near to me so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As we go through Hebrews, we'll practice learning to do that uh, in real time with Christ, our amazing and resurrected Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so much. that you're with us in the present, God. Um, Jesus, I thank you for not being cautious with your love toward us, uh, for never being surprised by anything we do, and for, I don't know, it must be hard uh, being present with uh, every person who trusts in you. And I pray for every person in this room, Lord, that they will know that you're not distant, uh, that you're not just a historical figure or a future reality, but you are with them today. Uh, Help us to practice in the moment drawing near to you, knowing that um, it's not just that you're powerful or glorious, but you you have so much sympathy, and you're able to feel what we feel, um, even in the dark times. And so uh, we entrust ourselves to you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.